Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Positive Pessimist Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Gaither. It's Wrestling Wednesday. My guest today is Rulon Gardner. Rulon Gardner is an Olympic champion in 2000. He's a 2004 Olympic bronze medalist. But to win his Olympic title in 2000, he had to beat a guy named Alexander Karelin. Alexander Karelin was a nine-time world champion, a three-time Olympic champion. He was going for his fourth when Rulon stopped him. And I'm really looking forward to him. Not only is he... um, one of the best wrestlers that America's ever had, but he has some personal struggles as far as he had a, uh, some major accidents and that kind of thing, and uh, just a really interesting story, and I've always heard great things about this guy, so without any further ado, let's bring him in. I, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. No problem. That's what um, you do, brother. Yeah, man, you're a, you're a living, breathing legend. I mean, the guy you beat to win your Olympic title, um, you know, everybody that knows wrestling knows the story. He was a nine-time world champion, a three-time Olympic champion going for his fourth when you stopped him. Um, So I I just have to tell you how honored I am that you took the time to do this because I know you've done a lot of big things. I was watching some stuff last night and I saw you on all the all the late night talk shows and all that stuff. And uh, I was like, man, it's really cool that he's taking the time to do this for me. Um, and I know a big part of it is because of Dennis Hall. Um, I know you're good friends with him, and he's one of the best Greco-Roman wrestlers we've ever had, too. How would you describe Dennis Hall to people? Um, in, a, in a short brief, Dennis Hall kind of epitomized, I think, you know, Greco-Roman wrestling. I think the rise of Greco-Roman in America you look at him and I think Matt Kafari were kind of the two of that same instinct. And I remember going uh, early in my career, I wrestled, you know, in Cuba in 1994, 95. And that's when I got exposed to Dennis and his intensity and to watch him win the Worlds in 95 and to hear the stories. I didn't have a chance to go, you know, Kafari had went to the Worlds in 95 and took second. But I saw him and, uh, you know, him and, and Matt Kafari and then Dennis Hall, you know, ultimately winning the Worlds in 95. You know, they brought the the battle. They brought the war to the game. And you hear Dennis, you know, you got to go out there. You got to you know, crush him. You got to break him. You got to, you know, he had a lot of other four-letter words that, you know, he'd <laughs> use to express how he competed against these guys and how, you know, he knew that, you know, the referee's out against him. And kind of he opened my eyes to what it took to be a man to rise at this top level. And seeing him be a, a great role model to me and a great leader to me, you know, he showed me what success was. And then to watch him and, you know, Brandon Paulson in the 96 Olympics, you know, succeed the way they did, it was amazing. And I know uh, Dennis, you know, didn't quite win the gold medal in the 96 Olympics, but, you know, win the world the year before, it it proved that he was truly a man that uh, had to be dealt with. Yeah, yeah, just a freaking beast. When did you realize, I know you're an All-American in Nebraska, when did you realize that you could be a world-class Greco wrestler? From, well, to be competitive and to, to win at that top level probably really wasn't until 2000 because okay. in the in the process, 94, 95, you know, I watched Dennis compete the way he did and then ultimately make the 96 Olympic team. I didn't make the team. Matt Kafari did. And even though I was on the same mat with Matt Kafari, Matt Kafari was a whole nother level than I was at that point. And even though I was, you know, still going to school in Nebraska because I didn't, you know, really wrestle uh, Greco until December of 94 until 95, you know, was when I kind of jumped into it, you know, fully. And then I won Nationals 95, Kafari got hurt at Nationals before Nationals came back and beat me at the trials. And so 
I wrestled the, uh, you know, 95 a little bit uh, in the summer and, you know, 96 McAfee ultimately went and made the Olympic team. I had never beat him up to that point. And then for, you know, 97, the only world championships I ever went to before I won the Olympics, you know, McAfee uh, took a year off in 97. I went and took fifth and yeah, I lost to Corell in five to nothing, but you know, I was just, it was a whole nother level, you know, where, you know, where Corella and Gafari both were against me. And then you ultimately have, you know, Jamil Byers that's also in the wings waiting to have a shot at, at making the team. And so 95, 96, Gafari, you know, comes back and takes second and second again. And 97, I go in and take fifth. 90, you know, 98, Gafari comes back in and takes second at the Worlds, or the Worlds again. So 98, you know, Gafari's, second in the world. And then 99, Jamil Byers beats Gafari to make the team. And so, you know, 97, I, I took fifth at the Worlds. I was number one, 98, you know, Gafari, 99, Byers. And then finally, 2000, you know, it was kind of a crazy experience from 99 to 2000. I doubted if I had the ability to compete and, and just to make the team. And people don't realize, and I know this year everybody's talking about Burroughs and Dake and how it's a big tragedy that only one gets to go. Well, we had three wrestlers were top two in the world at heavyweight, you know, going for one spot. And you could say the same about Jordan Burroughs weight. You know, everybody is pretty well in that same mindset. You know, it's, it's either one or you're done. And yeah. so we all fought like it was the end of the world. And that's why, you know, to the 2000 nationals, ultimately to the 2000 Olympic trials, it was a war and, you know, buyers, you know, yeah, he had taken, you know, six at the world's in 1999. So we qualified the weight class. And so coming into 2000, I had nothing guaranteed. There was nothing given. And so finally to go out there and, you know, beat, you know, buyer or beat Gafari finally at, uh, you know, the U S nationals in the finals and then make it to the Olympic trials and have to beat Gafari in the final two out of three, you know, I, I beat finally beat, you know, Gafari two out of three lost. Of, I won the first one, lost the second match, came back and won the third match. And then at that point, you know, Gafari said he was going to retire. So it was, a no brainer. And so I remember in 97, 98, I was wrestling both styles. I was 98. I was at nationals and I wrestled freestyle and Greco. I wrestled uh, Brian Keck, you know, Greco. And then I jumped through my singlet off and threw my other singlet on and went down and ran and wrestled Kerry McCoy. And I still, you know, joke with Kerry because he's like, really, he's like, you know, I was sitting there watching you win that Greco match. And I was just sitting there happy as a bee because I knew you're going to be exhausted by the time you got to me. And, and ultimately I was, and, he beat me and, uh, you know, I think he out techniqued me, but then ultimately he beat me physically. And so, you know, a lot of it probably has to do with the conditioning. So, you know, until 1998, I was, you know, specifically going both styles. And then finally at 98, I'm like, you know what, this is my chance to go and, you know, make the world team in 98. And so that's where I jumped in hundred percent Greco and, and said, I'm going to come out and beat whoever shows up and, you know, when I end up losing in 99, I, I sat down and I had a heart to heart with Steve Frazier, the national coach. I said, Hey, I've been going, you know, I've been going nonstop, giving a hundred percent to the sport. And I really haven't seen a lot of improvement. I didn't see it, but everybody else could see it. And they were saying, Rulin, don't change a thing. Don't change the way you prepare, come out there with that same grit, that same mentality. And if you do that, you'll make the team this year. And I kind of questioned Steve Frazier. I'm like, Steve, I'm like, I'm number three in America. I'm like, you're telling me I'm going to, you know, make the team and, and, you know, win a medal next year. And I'm like, you're up in the night. And he's like, Ruin. <laughs> he's like, I see it every day. And, you know, that's what it took. And, and those are the people I think that truly influenced me in, in Greco and then in the sport of wrestling. 
Yeah. So you made the team, and then you get to the Olympics, and uh, it was in Sydney, right? Yep. Um, well, but, but, but before, before well, it's kind of crazy. Before I, you know, I made the team, and what was funny is Steve Fraser came in and said, "Well, there it is. You know, we're expected to win zero medals. So what are we going to do about that, gentlemen?" And I remember sitting in Dallas and we having the meeting right after the trials. I'm like, oh, I don't know. What am I going to do? And, you know, I don't, you know, now we're not supposed to win or anything. Fraser, like, what are you going to do about it? And we're like, and I remember, you know, me and Garrett and, uh, you know, Matt Lindland, all three of us were the medalists at the Sydney Olympics. And, you know, none of us were supposed to win. And, you know, as we made that team, we said, well, we're going to go out and prove them wrong. And, you know, we walked out there and I remember, you know, going to Russia the month before Russia, I was feeling pretty cocky. I was doing really well. Practice was going well. Everything was good. And I lost to the number two Russian in the finals. And it wasn't just to lose, but I went out there pretty cocky and pretty arrogant. And I went I went after him right off the referee whistle, you know, because I'm like, I'm going to prove how good I've become because I had wrestled year of the year before in Sweden. And he hit a two-on-one so hard, he actually broke a rib wow. off a two-on-one. He snapped me so hard, and I ended up losing that match. And so I'd lost a year before. And then in Sydney, months before the Olympics, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. And I went out there to prove how much I had improved. He hit, tossed me, and pinned me in 13 seconds. Oh, wow. A month before the Olympics. So that was probably one of the most beneficial losses of my career because I walked in there humbled, hungry, upset, angry, mad, all that stuff. And it gave me the best chance to refocus and kind of, I think, readjust my mentality of what it was going to take to, to be successful at the Olympics that year. Yeah. And so so you said Corellin had beaten you 5-0. to zero. That was a close match for him, right? It was. It, it kind of was. At that time, it didn't seem like it because he picked me up three times, the first two times. And I have a picture in you know, my autobiography, Never Stop Pushing. I'm upside down doing a one-handed handstand looking at the mat. And he actually pile-drived me into my head. And I landed on my face twice. And my feet kicked myself in the back of the head. I broke two vertebrae in that match. Damn. You know, Broke my neck, came back, uh, ended up coming back and taking fifth after their tournament was all said and done at the Worlds. And so even though I lost 5 nothing, I realized this guy is at a whole nother level. You haven't even seen yet. So you better get back on it. In those three years, you know, they always say, you know, act like you've been there before. You know, who do you want to wrestle? Well, every day I walked into the Olympic Training Center where I had moved to in 1998, I, I imagined myself, you know, wrestling Alexander Carell. You know, he was the one that everybody wanted to beat. And so that was my expectation is to get to him and, and throw everything I had at him. Didn't have a lot of skill. Didn't have a lot of, you know, expertise in Greco-Roman because, like I said before, you know, I wrestled both styles. You know, I didn't get really exposed to Greco-Roman until 1994. So I was still a newcomer. I'd only been wrestling for six years. And to walk in there and, and to beat the unbeatable in six years, there was a lot of magic and a lot of, I think, things had to come together for that match. Yeah. How would you describe that guy from a physical standpoint? Because I remember reading in Sports Illustrated about him, like, moving a refrigerator up by himself, like, up three flights of stairs and... And all that stuff. Was he the strongest? Is it stupid question to ask if he's the strongest guy you've ever wrestled? Oh, by far, he was the most strongest, most intimidating. What was funny is he'd walk in and shake your hand, and he'd use his other hand, and your hand would be engulfed by his 
just to intimidate you to show you, oh my gosh, look at how menacing and strong he is. And yeah, it did intimidate everybody. And he'd come over and he'd, he'd always welcome you. And, you know, how are you? You know, very, very informal, but very intimidating. And that was his purpose is I'm going to go out there and I'm not just going to beat you on the mat. I'm going to beat you in the warmups. I'm going to beat you in the titles and everything else about it. And that was his persona. And that was what was kind of funny, you know, at the Sydney Olympics, he didn't warm up like he typically did. And I think part of it was because the way I won my semifinal match, I was losing to the Israeli who was born and raised in Russia, who had moved to Israel. So when I walked out there with Karelin, you know, it was already a pretty darn conclusion that I was going to lose and Karelin would win his fourth gold medal. And I was just happy to be there at that point. I didn't have any expectation of winning, Oh really? but I was just happy to just compete. Yeah. Did, so you had no game plan, or did you have somewhat of a game plan going into it? Or Well, Coach Frazier, you know, we, we had made the finals, and in between the finals and the semifinals, you have about four hours. And so you wrestle the early morning session, and then you wrestle the evening session. So we had about four to four and a half hours of downtime. And so before, coaches just said, hey, go take some time, go think about it, go take a little nap, you know, go back to – and they had had this nice apartment right there, pretty close to Darling Harbor, where we wrestled the Olympics. And so I went and took about a half an hour, you know, hour nap. And then finally I, I woke up. I'm like, I'm just too antsy. I'm like, I just want to get back. I want to make sure I don't miss the match. And so I got up and went back early. And it was a good thing. It was a bad thing. Because when you walk in, you can feel the energy. You know everything that's, you know, going to be happening in that match. You know, they're there to ordain Corellan, the best wrestler of all time. And instead of doing his typical hour-long warm-up, he sat there and just watched and watched the other wrestlers and my coaches. And, and I had Dan Chandler and Steve Fraser, that are two of the, uh, I think, the best Greco wrestlers in American history. They walked up and said, Ruler, something's going on with him. He's not warming up. He's he's not ready for this. You know, he, he maybe already thinks this match is over. And I had one of my Olympic teammates, Kevin Bracken, come up and say, man, aren't you upset? I'm like, why? He's like, they're already announcing his retirement part of me before you even wrestle. Doesn't that piss you off? I'm like, nope. And they're like, why not? I'm like, I got to go wrestle. I'm like, I'm going to keep my head about me. Because a month before in Russia, I'd lost focus. And I went out there to you know, prove something, prove who I was, prove how good I was. And it backfired. And the way that I wrestled on a daily basis, I went out there. I was, you know, in good position. You know, we broke it down from, you know, winning the match to, you know, every you know minute being in a better position to I wanted every second of that match be in better position, work harder than him, you know, establish, you know, a better, you know, stance, a better position, ultimately, you know, push him and get inside of his comfort zone. Because everybody in Coach Fraser talked about it, Ruin, he's big and intimidating. You're going to be fast and quick. He's big and strong. You're going to be fast and quick. And when he gets you know fast and quick, you become big and strong. You make him. And, and Coach Frazier had a mentality, you know, first contact. You make first contact. You let him know. You establish control. You establish the position. You establish yourself in that match. If you can establish who you are, you can beat anybody. Yeah. So what do you remember most about that match? You know, now I look back and it's been, you know, quite a few years since then. What I remember is the way that, you know, Corellan came out and just his persona and, you know, people said, oh, man, weren't you intimidated walking out there seeing his height? And, you know, he had me by four inches. He was bigger, taller, stronger, tougher. And he was, yeah, he was unbeatable. But what I remember about it is going out there saying, you know what, 
you have a fresh start. The score is 0-0. If he's going to beat you, enjoy the show. You know, you go out there, you do everything in your potential. And I do a lot of speaking around the country, and there's a way I kind of look at it in, in life. You know, people talk about, you know, climbing a big mountain, say Mount Everest, you know. You don't jump from the first step to the last step. You have to acclimatize. You have to adjust yourself. And when you wrestle with that next level, that next level, you know, you don't know really how good you are until you compete against people with that ability. And so as I got out against Corella and in my head, every day in practice, he was the person that I wanted to wrestle. He was the person that I wanted to beat. And everybody's like, well, well what about, you know, Gafari? I'm like, yeah, I wanted to beat him too. But I realized Gafari had never beat Corellon. And if I just reach and, and pursue my goal enough to beat Gafari, that's as far as I'll get. And so yeah. my aspiration, and I talk to kids and I coach a club and I help coach and I do camps and I talk to kids all the time and I say, hey, you know, your expectation is just to go out and win. You're going to barely win. I said, if, if your expectation is to go out there and maximize all your potential, who knows? You know, and you have kids all the time, well, coach, this guy's this, and this guy's this, and this guy's all much so much better than me. I'm intimidated by him. What do I do? I said, go out there and go after him. Why should you be intimidated? You put the champ on the ropes. You put the champ. You let the champ know that there's pressure. You let the champs know. Because if the champ is going to be who the champ is, he's going to beat you. But if you go out there and you act like a champ, you believe that you're a champ, you're going to compete like a champ, you never know what can happen. Even the champions, and we had seen it in some of our practices that Steve Fraser used to put us through, one of them, and he was the national team coach, and one of them was called the grind match, a two-hour match. Wow. And I remember having these Olympic medalists and these Olympic champions, and I I got to wrestle with Andrei Vronsky from Poland, who was a 220 Olympic champion. I had Hector Milan. I had all these great wrestlers, and I remember at times they started off at the beginning of the mat, they were unbeatable. But when I started wearing them down, tiring them down, beating them up and going after them, you started seeing weakness. You started seeing glimmers of opportunities where you could get them. And like the match with Corellon, first minute, you know, they called me for the passivity, they put me down and, you know, who was backing up? Yeah, he had a stronger underhook. Yeah, he had a two-on-one crossbow. His big, strong, powerful muscles they controlled me the first two minutes, three minutes, four minutes. But at the end, you watch the last night, you know, the last minute, the ninth minute of that match, Corellon was the one backing up. Corellon was the one giving up space. I was attacking him more than he was attacking me. It was because of my conditioning. It was because of my relentlessness. It was because of the mentality that I had developed in the way that I had trained. And so, you know, I think the difference maker was just the grit to, to push, to believe, to to say, you know what, if you beat me, at least I know I gave 100%. Because most people, and you hate to say it, most people would have walked out there the first minute and said, well, he's better than me. I'm going to lose. Yeah. <laughs> Not with me. I went out there and said, you know what, yeah, you're probably better than me, but guess what? There's a new dog in town. There's a new sheriff in town. Let's go out there and let's see what happens. And that's all I ever asked for. It was funny because Steve Fraser, right before he went out, he's like, rolling, rolling. And him and Dan Chandler were you know, talking, 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 telling me all this stuff. And I said, just leave me alone. And my coaches are like, leave me alone. And I'm like, well, you know, we're going to coach you. We want to coach you. We want to push you. We want to help you. And I'm like, just leave me alone, please. And the coach was kind of funny because they were just like, well, you know, wh- why? And after the match, finally, they're like, why did you do that? I said, because... Every day I walked into the Olympic Training Center in Colorado, I had one person on my mind, and that was Corella. And that day, walking into the Olympics and walking out onto the stage, 
was just like walking into practice in Colorado Springs at the Olympic Training Center. I'd already walked that walk a thousand times. I'd already seen that walk a thousand times. Why should it be any different that day in Colorado Springs than any other day? Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. I got chills listening to that, listening to you talk about that. Um, what kind of thing did you do? Because you did, uh, you know, you did seem to wear guys down a lot. Um, what kind of ex- what kind of workouts did you do to to do that? Was it the grind matches and those kind of things that prepared you for that, or did you do extra stuff? It really was. It really was because we had a lot of my other teammates who were like, "Oh, I'm going out and getting all these extra runs in, and I'm pushing myself this." And it was kind of funny. I had Brian Keck, who's you know since has passed away, and he was a Greco guy. And Brian Keck, you know, I remember about three years ago, he came in and said, "Ruling," he's like, "I want to apologize." I'm like, "For what?" He goes, "I want to just tell you how much I'm sorry." I'm like, "For what?" He's like. We used to laugh at you because, you know, you, at the end of a grind match, you would get up and do sprints. And we used to sit there and laugh at you like, oh, he's just trying to impress us and he's trying to show off and, and all that stuff. He's like, but I didn't get it. He said, now I finally get it. He goes, do you know what you have that I don't? I go, no. He goes, you have two Olympic medals and you have a world championships. He goes, we used to sit there and watch you, but you didn't live up to everybody else's expectation. You lived up to your own. Because you were willing to believe in yourself like none of us. And you had a strategy. And he goes, Roland, I didn't have one. And I'm sorry for that. And I'm like, I'm not. Because, Brian, if you would have prepared for me the same as me, you probably would have beat you, beat me, and I would have lost you. Because the thing is, is everybody wrestles to that certain level. But like a Michael Jordan or a, like a Jordan Burroughs or a John Smith or a Bruce Baumgartner, you know, I think truly the greats, you know, who have outlasted time, those are the guys they didn't wrestle to a certain level just to win, like a Dan Gable, you know, going un, you know, unscored on at the Olympics. You know, that is dominance. That is control. And to be able to be in control of a match like that, you know, I never had it. And like my whole life, I, I told people, like, what was it like when you won? I'm like, just imagine every day of your life is a battle, but that day is perfect. And all the experiences that you've been through up to that point have now culminated in the opportunity to wrestle, to beat, and to wrestle Alexander Corellin, the best of all time. You know, that's what it is, is I think all those little micro learnings, all those little situations you go through on a daily basis in practice, they finally culminated into that match in Sydney where I won the Olympics. Can you put into words how that felt? When you knew that it was over and you won? Well, I mean, you I, know, what, what did it feel like? I'm like, well, this is kind of fun. Now we're going to see. <laughs> we're going to see what happens because there's no way in the world, you know, you're going to, you know, let me win. And there's things we did. And I learned it from Dennis Hall. You know, I remember the one year, you know, after, you know, like the Olympics and stuff, he's like, you know, you're going to get screwed by the referees. You know, they don't like you. And I remember just kind of wiping my brow. You know, I, I did everything <laughs> I could. I wiped it. I walked off the mat and I said to Chandler as we came off, I'm like, what happened? He goes, I don't know. I'm like, this is going to be interesting. There's no way they're going to let me win this gold medal. They're going to say that I did something. I cheated. And as you see, there was about 30 seconds left. And I, I went in and, uh, and <laughs> I, I, uh, Corellin was trying to reverse lift me and I come around and I hit his foot with my hand and I hit his foot and I'm like, Oh crap. Because in Greco, you're not supposed to impede the offensive or defensive action of the opponent, the other wrestler. And I kind of hit his foot with my hand. And I was thinking, oh, maybe they're going to call up for a foot foul and said that I, you know, I blocked him. So it's a caution, too. I looked up. 
I kind of look it up like, uh-oh, this is, you know, caution too. I'm like, oh, okay, no caution, let's go. <laughs> you know, we got 30 seconds, 45. And I remember we had a minute, and it was kind of funny, that, that part their situation, they gave Corell an almost, you know, 45 seconds to almost a minute to try to turn me. And so I'm like, uh-uh, it ain't happening no more. You know, so it was kind of it was kind of funny, you know, that at the at the end of the match, even after I won, raised my hand, I still thought there's no way they're going to let me win this gold medal because something is going to happen. It's just not possible until finally I'm listening to the national anthem. I got my hand across my heart, and I'm like, if this is really real, <laughs> that's growling. Yeah, this is this. I I can't even, and I'm a good daydreamer. I can't daydream this well. <laughs> You know, every dream come true. You know, winter nationals, that's cool. But the Olympics and hear the national anthem and, and to know, you know, Juan Antonio Samaranch, president of the IOC, gave me my gold medal. You know, Bill Gates is there, you know, you know, Juan Antonio, you know, Samaranch gave me the medal and, you know, Henry Kissinger was there. All these people were there to congratulate Corell on his fourth gold medal. And I beat him. <laughs> it's just not possible. It's freaking awesome. Um, did, did you, had you planned on wrestling in the 2004 Olympics? I did. I okay. did. I, I made an eight year commitment after Nebraska, you know, getting done with school. And finally in 96, you know, I was going to go four more years to 2000 and then an additional four years because, you know, I expected, you know, probably 2000, I'd be getting good, but I still didn't know if I was good enough. And so, yeah, I planned on going all the way until 2004 and, you know, give it a hundred percent and, you know, came back the year after the Olympics, I won the worlds and I was pretty high on the hog and living life. Life was good and won the worlds. And then I got stranded snowmobiling and came back from that, lost the toe, lost all the feeling in my feet. And I started battling back. And then, you know, 2002, Jermil Byers wins the worlds. And I was like, man, you know, it's just not getting any easier, but that's okay. But you get back up, you go apply yourself and you come back and, you know, in 2004, I got to, you know, compete and, and beat Jermail Byers to to go out there and make the Olympic team. And instead of being mad and, and not wanting to train with me, Byers is like, dude, I'll help you. I'll be there in every practice. And he was. And he came out there and he helped push me in every situation to, to, you know, to make the Olympic, uh, you know, medalist and be, you know, to be a, a placer on the stand. That was something that, you know, Byers could have just simply walked away and said, no. I'm not going to, but having the training partners and having a former world champion pushing me on it, you know, on every stance, you know, the, it, it was a hundred percent of, of amazingness yeah. to have his, to have his, you know, commitment and, you know, not just, you know, Byers Kafari and Steve Frazier and, you know, Dennis Hall. I remember watching Dennis and Brandon Paulson in that classic match at the Olympic trials in 04, where those two guys just battled. They let him wrestle. I think it was a total of 16 minutes. I mean, or was it 20 minutes? It, I think know, it was 20 something. I watched that match numerous times and, you know, Brandon scored first and Dennis came back and threw him and then it was tied up. And finally, you know, Brandon made a mistake and Dennis capitalized and man, it was just, you know, I, I you know, I thought, man, I'm like, I get to make the Olympic team with Dennis Hall. And, you know, it was, it was everything I ever dreamed of. Yeah. Well, not only did you make the team, which is great in its own right, you did it you, with, you had a missing toe, you had a wrist injury that would have, probably ended anybody's career and to beat to to make the team you had to beat a world champion so i mean and i know you got to get out of here but i have so many questions <laughs> um like your your snowmobile accident and then you had an airplane crash um was there one one of those things that was scarier than the other as far as losing your life potentially 
Well, <laughs> and this is where, you know, you go back and what's funny is, you know, on the Olympic channel, uh, you know, and I could send you the link if you want to let people, you know, see the link, you know, you know, the first it was Ruland won't die. And then it's Ruland, an ordinary man with an extraordinary journey. And it covers all of my, you know, journey. It covers all my ups and downs and, and setbacks in life. And so, you know, going through all those things, you know, everybody asks, you know, what was the one moment? I, you know, I grew up on the farm. I had staph infection at 96 at the Olympic trials. I had staph infection in high school. I should have died so many times, but probably like you said, you know, what would be the one, probably the snowmobiling accident. And that night it was inevitable. I was going to die. You know, if you would have said to me early when I got stranded and I first got wet at four 30, I went, I was down in the river. I got wet. And then finally about seven o'clock, I just pulled my snowmobile in the river and I fell backwards and I fell into the water. I didn't have my winter coat on. I had a t-shirt, sweatshirt, and a fleece top. Man. And if you had told me it would have been 25 below, I'd been out there for a total of 18 hours, I would have probably just started crying right then. But I think setting little goals and surviving those little mishaps, you know, that night was a horrific night for me. But now that I look back at it, now I think about what I went through that night. It was one of the most amazing experiences that a person could have ever gone through because, you know, at one point I saw Jesus and God and they came and they, they let me live, you know, at four 30 in the morning. And I thought it, I was dying at that point. And they asked me to come home and I said, I, I'm not done living. I want to come back and I want to wrestle again. I want to go to the Olympics. I want to have a family. I want all that stuff that, you know, we all dream of, of living in America and I want to do it. And I remember waking up being like, yes. And so now I look at it that night in the wilderness was one of the most amazing experiences that night in Lake power. We were in a plane wreck with two other passengers and we swam to the shore and all three of us survived. You know, there was just some pretty miraculous things that we all had to go through and that we all ultimately, you know, survived from. How, how did your, are, are you human? Like how, how did your body, how did your body not shut down in freezing cold water like that? I mean, do you have an answer for it? I mean, it's just amazing. I think, you know, the mentality of a wrestler to just focus on the little details, because they say when you go through frostbite and hypothermia, at one point, you know, you want to take your clothes off, you want to cool down, or you want to try to think, oh, well, my clothes are frozen to me. So I should probably take the frozen clothes off of me. And I remember sitting there trying to pull my, my fleece top was frozen. I'm pulling it off of my stomach and I'm pulling it off. It's almost off of my, but if I take that off, my sweatshirt will freeze. Then I'll take it off. Then my t-shirt will freeze. I'll take it off. Then I'll have nothing. So that layer of, you know, t-shirt and sweatshirt, it's moist, but it's not frozen yet. So that ice and, and that, that barrier I have on my, my fleece top, it's actually keeping me warm. So I need to leave it on. And so I, I took myself all the way to taking it off and I took myself all the way back and said, no, just leave it on. You're going to be fine. Everything will be okay. Just relax. Huh. And, and you just sat on the, like on the, it was like a, was it a beach? Um, well, the, the, when I was at Lake Powell and that night there was three of us and all three of us, you know, were there together and we were talking The pilot when I first got there, couldn't talk, he couldn't speak. And that was, you know, that was in the lake. And then ultimately the water was 43 degrees. We got to the shore and the pilot, he couldn't talk. The brother said, Hey man, you've been through this. Can we make it? I said, if we've been through that swim, and it was almost a mile to two mile swim. I'm like, there's no way I'm dying now. 
Yeah. So I'm like, we're going to make it through this. And so finally, about 2 a.m., the pilot started talking. He's like, I'm so sorry. And I didn't mean to do this. And, you know, I didn't mean to cause this. And the brother's like, dude, I thought you were a ghost coming to save us. I'm like, if I'm a ghost, I'm coming to kill you because both of you guys swam away from me in the middle of the lake and you guys left me. And I had to fend for myself. And I remember, you know, that was the first time I've ever been in shock. And I was like, man. Is it bad if I die? Is it bad if I give up now? And I'm like, just keep swimming, keep swimming, you know, keep pushing no matter what, no matter if there's no future, but keep pushing until you find a way to create a future for yourself. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I got to tell you, man, you're, the kids you coach are super lucky to have you. Um, what, what's your greatest asset as a coach? Do you, do you need to get out of here? No, I, I can give you a few more minutes. Okay. Probably my, hopefully my greatest asset as a coach is my mentality and my ability to have kids understand that if I can do it and you look at me and you meet me in person, oh, you're a big guy, you're this, that, and the other, but to do and go through the things I've been through, I'm really nothing special. I think it was because of my mentality growing up on the farm, being the youngest of nine, you know, having to fight for everything I got. You know, I had a learning disability. I wasn't supposed to go to college. I wasn't supposed to graduate from high school. I went to college. I, I, I left a junior college with a national championship, got to Nebraska. They told me day one I'd never make it at Nebraska. You know, I graduated from Nebraska with my teaching degree. I, I got on the Olympic ladder. Mac DeFarge is like, you'll never beat me. And those are just opportunities to prove people wrong. You know, every day I look at every opportunity. I see successful people. I want to be like them. What can I do to become like them? And as a wrestler, I want to show them not the shortcuts. There's no easy way. But if I can get you to think at a higher level mentally, and if I can get you to, to pick apart another great wrestler who you haven't beaten up to that point, and then you go out and beat, be like, oh, my gosh, he's not that good after all. And if he's not that good, I'm getting better. If I'm getting better, I can beat him. I can beat him. I can beat him. And you start to unleash your potential. And I think a lot of those mentality things were learned by – training in Colorado Springs at the Olympic Training Center. One of my coaches named Steve Frazier, Olympic champ, you know, world champ, he used to talk about the mentality of a champion. And I, I listened to everything he said because, man, if I could do it, he could do it. If he believes in me, then I'm going to do it. You know, 99, he sat down and told me, he's like, Ruin, I promise you, if you stay true to yourself for the next year, you train as hard as you can, you push every day like you've done for the past three years. If you do that over the next year, I promise you, you're going to make the Olympic team and you'll win a medal. And I'm like, come on. I'm like, you say that to everybody. You tell everybody that. That's not possible. But guess what? He believed in me and it was true. And, and ultimately, guess what happened? Yeah. Yeah, I would love to have him on my podcast. He was on my wall uh, in that 84 team. He was on the 84 team, right? And he won the Olympic championship in 84. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I remember him oh, yeah. headlocking the heck out of people. Um and I've got this great picture of him headlocking this dude, and and we're friends on Facebook, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hit him up. Um, well, oh, yeah, he's 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 a stud. You know, he he is what determined, I think, you know, or, or what helped Greco in those years. You know, we won the team championship. You know, the year Byers was there, I won the world championship. You know, we won more medals under Steve Frazier's, I think, mentality. And it was you're gonna work harder than anybody else. You're gonna commit more than anybody else. You're going to break people mentally. You know, we're going to make you do the grind match. The grind match was a determining factor because 
it wasn't just physically tough. It was mentally tough. It was mentally grueling. And you went out there and you just picked these people apart because you worked a lot harder than they did. You committed a lot more than they did. And if you can beat them in practice, you can beat them on the mat. And that's just the way he trained us. And, you know, he always said, find somebody you can't beat and train until you can beat them. And that's what we did on a daily basis in every situation. How often did you guys do those grind matches? We did it about every two or three weeks. Okay. And so some of them were an hour, but most of them were two hours. You know, I remember we tried to go once a month, you know, before nationals. I, I remember the last one was after the Olympic trials. I think we did one or two in between the trials and the Olympic Games. And I remember the last one in Colorado Springs. It was crazy. It was it was amazing. It was one of the coolest things because, you know, I'm going with buyers. I'm going, you know, they're rotating people in on you. And you're not just beating, you know, people who are tired. You're beating guys that are fresh. And I remember, you know, we'd be out there doing a shark bait. And these guys are coming in. After a minute, they're leaving more tired than I was. Yeah. So it wasn't physically I was strong, but it was conditioning-wise, mentally, all those components. And, you know, one of the, the coolest matches ever is the quarterfinals. The Russian that threw me in 13 seconds before the Olympics. I'm losing him at the Worlds in 01. And there's 10 seconds left. I had thrown him three straight times. And if you look on YouTube, there's a great you know highlight video from the 2001 Worlds. Okay. And it's on my Facebook. Go to my Facebook, Ruben Gardner, and you can see it on there. And, and I'm going out there, and, and I just was relentless. And, you know, I try to throw him and kind of throw him with 15 seconds left. Can't score on him. And then finally, I come back to the middle. I throw him again, and I throw him. And I pin him as time expires. Nice. And all he did is put his hands on his face because he realized I just threw him and I just won the match. And I won the semi quarterfinals three or three to three. And then I touch followed him. And then I won my semifinals three nothing. I won the worlds two nothing. Nice. You know, and the only time I got through, the only time I got scored on was against Yuri, who I ultimately came back and threw as time expired. So, you know, wrestling isn't about what you've been given, it's a matter of what you do with what you've been given. Yeah. Uh, you also turned down quite a bit of money to keep. Uh, I know you had one MMA. Was it considered MMA? Is that what it was? Um, yeah, it was in Pride, so it, you know mixed martial arts. It was Pride fighting. You know, kind of the equal of uh, you know the UFC here in the states, but it was out of Japan. So I actually went to Japan and got to fight Hiroshi Yoshida, who was a judo Olympic champion. Okay, and uh, then you turned down almost a million dollars for another fight. Um, and, and I know your mom had a big, big part in that. Um, was that it, or was it um, that you just didn't? Did you not care for that kind of uh, sport? I really didn't like it punched in the face because it hurts ultimately. But I asked my mom, and, and I had people say, "Do one punch, it's a million dollars." And my mom, I asked her, "What do you think, mom?" She goes, "Rulin, did I raise you to be a killer?" I'm like, "No." She goes, "Think about you know who you are, you know the kids and the influence you have on these youth." You know, is this the son that I raised? I'm like, nope. She was so I'm asking you, please don't. And I didn't. Yeah. Well, that that's awesome. You're a great son, and uh, and your mom has to be some. She's still with us. She's not. She's passed away. I, I was the youngest, so my parents when I left to go to college, you know, everybody got old, and and I came, and they got to see me when I was competing. But the rest of the time, I was living in Colorado and traveling and. You know, I missed out on a lot of good years with my family. So there is a sacrifice, you know, when you're, yeah, you're seeing the world and you're winning, but 
the end of the day, you get to miss a lot of things with your family. And it was hard, you know, coming back and, you know, getting back after I retired and my family, my dad passed away two years after I retired and it was just sad to see him get old, but there's nothing I could do about it. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what happens when you follow your dreams sometimes. And, but she, you know, she got to be there and watch me compete and she loved it. You know, she, she hated it because Ruling, you're my baby. I don't want him to hurt you. I'm like, Mom, I'm okay. I'm pretty tough, you know, but she was just, I was her baby, and yeah, you know, she meant the world to me. Yeah, well, what a special lady, not only not only to raise an Olympic champion, but to have, because uh, you had 11 brothers and sisters? Uh, there's nine of us, so 11 nine. of my parents. Okay, okay. So, uh, yeah, what a, what a special lady, and uh, I'll let you get out of here, man, but... Um, I have so many questions. I could have talked to you for two hours today because, uh, and, and you're just a, you're a very infectious person. Like as I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm just like, I, I want to know this dude more than I, than I do. Um, and you're such a nice person. I mean, you know, uh, and I've always heard that about you. I've always heard what a great salt of the earth person you are. And, uh, I couldn't think more of you. And, and I can't tell you how cool it is for me to, to be sitting here talking to you right now. Cause I watched that. Um, I watched that match with Carell in the finals. You know, I'm a huge wrestling nerd, and, and I was a state champ in high school, and, and I just love it. But I was watching it, and I was like, this isn't going to be... I knew just a few minutes into it when there was no score. I was like, this is not going to be how it normally is. This guy's got something uh, special. And uh, so, you know, and he, and, and he was considered unbeatable. I mean, I think he had, what, 888 straight victories or something just... yeah. Something just crazy wise. And yeah. He didn't go to the small tournaments anymore because he only wrestled at European championships, the Russian championships, you know, the world or Olympic games. The rest of the time he didn't because he was at such a high level. He had such a, 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 a better skill level than anybody else. So why, why would he train and compete in these little competitions? So yeah, he was, he was considered, you know, probably the unbeatable and you know, nobody could even go at his level, but I don't think anybody was crazy enough to believe they could beat him like I was, you know, <laughs> and I had nothing to lose. When you had nothing to lose, give everything you got. Yeah. Yeah. Is that something you tell your kids too? Oh, I hundred percent. You know, I got, you know, I got a bunch of kids coming here in about 15 minutes and we're going to go in and we're going to throw down. And, uh, you know, this is what practice is. I just moved to St. George about two months ago as a head coach of a uh, high school up in, uh, Salt Lake Harriman high school. And now I get to come in and I'm working with a bunch of youths. I'm working with a bunch of different schools, trying to help make their kids better and get them at that next level and get them to see that it's not just, you know, physicality, technique, it's mentality too. If you show up there believing you can compete at that top level, you work hard, you develop the technique, you know, you're already there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, that's something that I wish that, you know, if, if I had a time machine, I would go back and just not be so worried about you know ultimately it's just a wrestling match they're not going to kill you no matter how good they are you're not going to die just give it everything you've got and i wonder how good i could have been because i was such a head case about all that stuff and and again that's a big part of the sport though so yeah i tell kids don't worry about the outcome the outcome will happen by by itself all you can control is what happens between the beginning of the match and the end yeah. And if you prepare for that match in every situation and every opportunity, you know what? You never know. You know, if you look at Dan Gable losing to Owens in college, you know, Owens was talking, oh, I'm, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to beat you. I, I was the opposite. I killed him with kindness. You know, I, if I beat you, I'm sorry, let me help you up. <laughs> and these guys in Europe, they're like, really? He's such a nice guy. 
you know what? Be their friend. Be their friend. Yeah. But also go out on the mat and beat them. There's yeah. two different times when you turn it on or when you turn it off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this, dude. You're a legend You're of the welcome. sport. And uh, is there anything else you want to say before we get out of here? No, I'd love to come back. Go to RuleGardener.com and check my out. You know, check my stuff out. And you know, RuleGardener Gold Medal Gym on Facebook. We're we're building a club here. I got a camp starting. Dennis Hall is going to come in and be one of my uh, clinicians here, June 21st through 25th in St. George, Utah. Kevin Jackson's coming in. I got myself, and we got just got a great group of kids here, and excited to be able to be part of wrestling. And I just love coaching, and it's one of the greatest sports in the, you know of all time. And so. I just get to be one of the blessed people that had to be a part of it. And especially living in America where in Russia, they would have told me years ago, you couldn't do it. Well, in America, I could because I had the freedom to chase my dreams. And if you chase your dreams long enough and hard enough, you never know what will happen. Look yeah. at what happened with me. Yeah, absolutely. Do you plan on doing any more commentating? I enjoyed when I saw you commentate. I can't remember where no, it was. No, I'd love to. I'd love to be part of you know giving back. And I think I have an insight. You know, there's a difference of you know, showing up and competing and being an Olympian. And there's a difference of being an Olympian and, and being an Olympic champion. Like I always told Randy Couture, I said, after all those titles, you still have never made the Olympic team, Randy. So, <laughs> so you now just having fun, you know, these are all friends of mine and you know, you compete wrestlers, you know, you always got to compete. If you're not competing, you're not getting better. You're not staying focused. And, you know, that's what we do as wrestlers is we always challenge you walk into a wrestling room and they're always bear hugging each other and kind of wrestling around because, it's what we do. It's how we think, and it's, it's the way we live. Yeah, that's the best thing that wrestling taught me was how to control what I control, and, and that's it. Like, I do stand-up comedy now for a living, and, and just the, even this last weekend, I've been doing it for a living for over 20 years, I was telling myself, like, you don't really control how the audience responds. You control, I control what I do, but I can't, I can't make them like me or whatever. All you can do is what you do and... Uh, um, so, yeah, I'm sorry, man. I'll let you get out of here, but... No, oh, but, you know, what? you pull them into your reality and you tell them a story and they get astonished. I'm good friends with Larry the Cable Guy. And okay. He, you know, those guys have the ability to pull people in and be like, holy cow, man, that's a weird mentality, but it's pretty funny. And that's what you want to do. You want to get people to see what you see from your perspective. And when you do that, anything's possible. Okay. Well, I thank you so much, and and you know I might get a hold of you sometime. I have more questions about yeah. uh, the snowmobile accident, especially seeing God and all that. I just lost a brother, and and uh, it's been difficult for me, and and those kind of things I think help me a little bit hearing those kind of stories. Yeah, I'd love to. So yeah, let's do another one of these if you don't mind. Yeah, man, I would love to. God bless you. Thank hey, you so uh, much, Rulon. Have a good day, buddy. Hey, you too. I'm out of here. Watch to practice. All right, man. See you later. See you, brother. Bye bye. Wow, uh, that went super fast. Um, what a great guy! Um, I, I <laughs> there's something about Rulon Gardner that uh, you know I'd never spoken to him before, but I felt like uh, I felt like I knew him, and uh, I think I'd heard people talk about him, like Katie Couric and a couple other people that had interviewed him, talk about what a uh, just a great person he was, and and they weren't lying. I really enjoyed the heck out of that. I hope you guys did too. I hope you subscribe to the channel. And uh, I will be at the Looney Bin Comedy Club in Oklahoma City, the Jan- excuse me, June 9 through 13, 12 or 13. I think Saturday's their last show. And then the week after that, I will be in Wichita, Kansas at the Looney Bin Comedy Club. So if you're anywhere near those places, please come check out the show. I'll be there with my good buddy, Kurt Fletcher. And uh, Go to makingithappen.com, M-A-C-A-N, ithappen.com, help out little bow making. 
And I believe that's it. God bless all of you. Thank you so much for tuning in and take care. Bye. Do us both a favor and click on that subscribe button.